Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter! Right, easy, Geraldo. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking feminine beauty standards. We're talking animalistic hazing rituals. And we're talking carnivorous family legacies. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking um, non-roasted leg of gay lamb. I don't know. Ugh, really? <laughs> you you had a waxing joke right there and you didn't go for it? <laughs> oh, man. Just the n- number of ways that I'm going to disappoint you today, Joe. Um, hello, everyone. <laughs> we are discussing Raw, the cannibal festival hit that really made waves back when it came out in 2016, 2017. And uh, uh, really, I think a film that's connected with a lot of people over the past couple years. It's made it's made itself on so many, like, you know, best of horror 2010s lists, even though its categorization as horror can be debated by the director herself. But, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, folks, this is a horror film. It definitely features women eating men. So I'm going to firmly <laughs> put it into horror, even if director Julia DeCorno wants to say it's a coming of age film that has, you know, what, like, fantastic elements to it. I'm like, okay, Julia, it's okay. We don't need to be afraid of horror anymore. It's good. I mean, it, it's it's funny, because watching her interview, she's very much like, you know, she is a horror movie fan. Like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is oh, one of her favorite movies. Yeah. But she's like, yeah, it, it's a comedy and a drama and a body horror film. I was like, okay, well, you use mm-hmm. horror in your definition. So <laughs> there we go. But Joe, I do think, though, that we're going to need some help unpacking this. um, I'm going to say feminist film, although, again, I think we'll talk about that as well. But we do have a guest on today's episode. So everyone, you have read her work at places like Rue Morgue, Polygon, That Shelf. And if you live in Charlottesville, Seaville Weekly, she's also one of the kindest people I have ever met. One of my favorite festival finds of friends. Oh, that's a mouthful. Um, Please welcome Dee Dee (laughs) Crimmins. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on this particular episode, Dee Dee. Yes. Yes. I'm very excited for like a million reasons, and we will get to every single one of them. <laughs> We're here for five <laughs> hours. Everybody strap in. <laughs> well, no, th- that's actually great. No, so, okay. So I didn't get to ask Joe this beforehand, but so did you pick this film, Dee Dee? I picked it from a list that Joe gave. Yes. Me. Okay. So what made you pick this film? It rules. <laughs> <laughs> Just a flat statement. It's a fact. It's it rules, but it rules in ways that you can pick it apart yeah. and see the layers by which I'm responding to it and not responding to it. Um, there's certain aspects of it that I feel I respond to very strongly in a way that's very personal for me. Mm. Um, cause, you know, I'm a cannibal, but um, oh. <laughs> Army Hammer is that you? Yeah, oh, that joke funny. is going to age uh, well. It's going to go great. God, yeah, it's going to age as well as chicken left out of the fridge. But um, <laughs> it's just. I, don't, I think there's a lot going on in this film. So it's not like there are certain films you watch and you're like, that ruled. And then you just kind of don't think about it again. And this one is one where like the second I finished watching it, I was like, I need to see this again because I want to make sure I remembered it yeah. with mm-hmm. certain things popping out just because, I mean, it's, you know, 
we'll get to what it's about actually but yeah. the the layers and the complicated relationships between between people the complicated relationship that characters have with themselves i find really fascinating mm. so yeah and the characters are not always super likable and i kind of like that too mm-hmm. yeah i actually saw a bunch of reviews mentioned that unlikability factor and i thought that that was very interesting in conjunction with the discussion around the film's feminist interest right mm-hmm. like oh no it's a film about women behaving quote-unquote badly but it's also very much a story about women like this movie kind of doesn't care about men which i like Mm-hmm. And I just think it's fascinating then that people say, oh, well, it's just filled with these unlikable characters. And I think, oh, oh, no, um, okay, we're doing this. Got it. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I, I will come out and, you know, if people have listened to, we've mentioned this before, this is not my favorite film. Um, I, I think it's very well written and directed. I think it's a great debut for Julia DeCornell. I like so much of it. I respect so much of what this film is doing. And yet I still like walk out of this film going like, uh, I'm okay with it. Like, I don't fully connect it in the way that a lot of other people do but that that unlikable uh, unlikability unlikable characters critique i don't that's not really a factor for me because for me it's just like they're very realistic portrayals of teenagers i don't like teenagers but um, <laughs> no <laughs> but no i mean we can like dive into whether or not it's a feminist film but like this film happens to presuppose that women are people oh my <laughs> god like for me get them I away know. from me Dee. <laughs> imagine i know and their lives don't entirely revolve around men and they have feelings and motives and even if they don't make sense to us they still have them so in my mind i mean like at a very very basic level like you know we can talk about like the vegetal test all this sort of stuff Mm -hmm. like it is in my mind quite a feminist film but then also that it does this whole like layering of like okay here's what the family is like here's what these women's relationship to like what they physically consume here's their relationship to men here's their relationship to education like just kind of packs all this stuff on to the point where it's like sandstone and you can just read all the different layers there right yeah that's actually one of the reasons why i responded to it so strongly so i got to see this at tiff when it debuted Mm -hmm. the infamous tiff release which of course uh had several people apparently faint or walk out and discuss and it unfortunately gave this film a bad reputation like i know that we like to laud films as being so scary or so terrifying or whatever whatever and as a result i think a lot of people went into this film with unrealistic expectations about what it was going to deliver it almost makes me wonder if that's one of the reasons why de corno says oh it's not a horror film because she's trying to get people to pay attention to the coming of age angle as opposed to the yes she bites off a man's like leg and does a whole bunch of other things that are like nasty body horror stuff well and so i saw this at fantastic fest i guess it would have been what but a month after you saw it joe and that legacy i'll i'll use that word um had already been attached to the film like oh my god this film is so intense it's a cannibal film and people vomited and walked out of the theater i think there was one festival screening neither tiff nor fantastic fest but where they like handed out vomit bags for people that walked into the theater (laughs) And I, I, I will confess that those definitely set some very different expectations for me walking into the theater. So w- 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 I did like this movie more on a rewatch. My first watch at the festival, I was very much like, 
Oh, and this makes me sound like a huge asshole. Like, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, that's I it. All this con- yeah, I, <laughs> it was a bit of a that's it reaction to it. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, to the but it's clearly done some things to other people because I even saw like a one and a half star letterbox review from someone that was like, if you're gonna like promote this film as a cannibal film, maybe have more cannibalism in it. And I was like, but <laughs> oh my god, cannibalism's rampant in this film. Actually, it's just like the you're whole not- fucking movie is about cannibalism. <laughs> if you can't see it, I'm sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> but 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 I, I will confess that yeah, my first viewing was a bit diluted because of those expectations, which is on me. That is not on the film. It is not on like anything but myself for doing that. Um, I was definitely able to appreciate a lot more of the metaphor because honestly, Joe, you you know this about me. I, I do tend to watch films very literally, mm-hmm. and when it comes into metaphor, I I, I sometimes lose it. N- sorry, not lose it, but I I. I, I I think that's part of what keeps me from that prevents me from connecting with this film on such a level. Like, I, I'm, you're gonna find that I'm gonna agree with a lot of things y'all are saying today, but I'm also <laughs> just gonna be like, yeah, uh huh, that's that, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I'm gonna walk away, and we've had this discu- this discussion, and now I don't have to talk about raw again. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I'm, I I don't want to like rob anyone's joy of this. You know, like I, I'm not here to do that. I'm here to be a nice person. <laughs> yes, you can be a nice man in the corner while Didi and I have a very like deep, rich discussion about how important this film is to women. <laughs> no, I, I, and I mean, obviously, I'm not a woman, so I actually watching it. I, I really put I, I put it through the queer lens, which I, I think is really easy to do. Like, if you're mm-hmm. just saying, okay, cool, like this is a, you're they're born this way, cannibals. They're born this way, queer. When you try to fight your nature, it doesn't go very well. One hundred percent. And I think even if we apply that reading to it, like we can look at the ending of this film in a very specific way, which I will say that the final scene of this film is one of the best scenes I've ever seen in my life. So take that (laughs) as you will. It's pretty bang on. Yeah. But I had to do a lot of like, I don't know, not not a lot, but like like introspection because I feel the same way about this film as I did about another film that we covered on the podcast, Ginger Snaps, which is I think deals with very similar themes. And I, I feel the same way where I'm like, I like it. I respect it. I like, I see what it's doing. I know what it's doing, but I still don't connect with it as much as you and Ariel did on that episode. So I think I just hate women. <laughs> or maybe teenage women who are struggling through something. <laughs> maybe so. I don't know. But nevertheless, that's going to be my spiel. That's going to be all the dunking I do today. So I think I was at that same screening with you, Trace, because I did see it at Fantastic Fest as well. Mm-hmm. And I remember that they served steak tartare as like one of the menu items there. Oh, so they were like, yeah, they were definitely playing it up. And I always have now, Joe, I have a question about. So were you at the TIFF screening where people supposedly like passed out and all that stuff? I was. Yeah, they they took a person away in a stretcher. Okay, Okay, because there's one film I was at at Fantasia, an entirely separate film, and it was like, it was in the small theater, so there's, you know, barely any seats, and you can see everyone else who's in the theater, and allegedly someone, like, passed out, and they had to call an ambulance Mm -hmm. and everything, and this makes it into all the promo stuff for that film, and, like, when I got the Blu-ray of it, there was, like, a barf bag included, and I was like... I was in the theater and I didn't see anything and they didn't stop the film. So I'm like, did this really happen? So whenever I read that sort of thing, I like instantly don't believe it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm all for marketing and, you know, stuff being over the top. But for that, like, I was just like, "Mm -mm." yeah, it is buzz. But but I I do. I agree with both of you where it kind of works against the film. Right. Because if you're it builds buzz, but for a film that this film is not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's different if you're going to go out of Evil Dead 2013 and say, oh my god, the box cutter scene or, you know, the the rain of blood or something like that. Like, sure, do it for that film because it is big and bold and sensational. Like, 
I, and I don't want to say, oh, you're doing it a disservice to this film because this film is so much more than Evil Dead. But like mm-hmm. this film is very carefully calibrated. Like it's the main reason why I love this movie so much is because it is, like you said, Didi, there's so many levels. And I really think that it's rich and complicated. Like DeCurno clearly crafted this so that every scene matters. Every scene is complementing and speaking to the film's various themes. And I think when you say, oh, here's a barf bag because this movie is going to make you vomit it's like cool you're basically disrespecting the movie because it's got a bit more going on than just that yeah and like i believe in this film more than a barf bag like i still would have gone (laughs) to see it and loved it without all that Mm -hmm. like it's just kind of like no have confidence yourself raw i believe in you you don't need all of this fancy stuff yeah tiny sidebar question for both of you though have any of you actually been in a theater i mean i know Dita, you gave one where you didn't you you don't remember seeing anyone being pulled out but have you all ever been in a theater Mm -hmm. where like they had to stop the movie because of a vomiting or some kind of medical thing due to the film i mean that was what happened in toronto (laughs) like they did no no, no, i know but they could take (laughs) someone away well i was like because like i I, when i saw um revenge at fantastic fest someone had a seizure during the movie so they had to like stop Mm. it and pull the guy out and coincidentally another feminist film that i think is fine (laughs) i'm like i saw that but it must have been on a different screening because i do not remember that yeah no i once had someone throw an entire breakfast at me but they didn't stop the film Yeah, there's well, there's some weird things that happen in theaters, and yeah, maybe that's a yeah. minisode in the future. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so yeah, so let, let, we're not we won't belabor the point about this vomiting marketing buzz blitz thing because bleh, it's not it's the movie is more than that. Y'all are both right. So let's get into the film. Raw, after doing a major festival run in 2016, it opens in the States on March 10th, 2017, released by Focus World. We're looking at a runtime of 99 minutes. Budget is a bit uncertain, but I did a bit more digging today, and I found it's roughly probably around $4 million is the budget for this film. And I think that's U.S. dollars. Uh, When it opens in March of 2017, though, it only opens in two theaters. So it opens in the number 55 slot (laughs) (laughs) with almost $25,000, which, I mean, you know, for... For a foreign indie film, like, that's not bad. It winds up grossing a bit over $500,000 in the States. I think the widest release it got was, like, 27 theaters. So it's, you know, not expected to do much. It makes almost $3 million overseas for a, uh, well, for a worldwide gross of $3 million on its $4 million budget. So mm-hmm. I, I I don't really know how to gauge those metrics of whether it's a success, success or not. Because obviously the number means it's not a success. But I don't know. Like, it's, it's international. Well, I think the way that people talk about DeCorno and this film suggests to me something kind of equivalent to like what The Witch did in North America, where it's a big celebrated debut where people say, this is a person to watch. This is a film that Mm -hmm. deserves to be lauded. And then it doesn't really make the same kind of financial waves that you would hope because it just like the reality is, is that these films are not four quadrant crowd pleasers right like they appeal to a certain type of audience and there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say it's too slow in this case you know yeah it's french i don't want to read subtitles oh it's about teenage girls i'm immediately out so there's a lot of things working against the film in that regard but the way that people got excited when they saw that she was directing episodes of servant season two earlier Mm -hmm. this year you know we're literally recording this on the day that the trailer for her new film drops and people are losing their shit over it so I do think it, if nothing else, it made her a name that people are excited to see more from. Oh my god, wait, did they drop the trailer today? For, is it Tatane? Titan? 
I think it's detain. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw that in my research. I was like, oh my god, like, she, she's doing like you know what so many genre artists do, where they they pull people from the same films. Like you know, for for Titan, she, she's she's the writer director. She's using the same cinematographer as Raw, the same editor as Raw, the same lead actress mm-hmm. as Raw. So definitely mm-hmm. intrigued by that. Yeah, and it's a completely different vibe, and yet you can clearly see that it's also still her. Like she's mm-hmm. being true to herself as an artist. Ooh, we're getting in like a, a bit of auteur theory in here. Maybe if we can say Ari Aster is an auteur after like a one and a half films, like right. we can we can count this. I don't know, Dee Dee. I feel like she really needs to prove herself just a couple more times, like maybe ten more films, and then we can talk about it. We can talk, yeah. Well, while the film may not have been a box office success, it was a major critical success. We are looking at a 92% of Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 7.9 out of 10 and a letterbox score of 7.4 out of 10. And we don't ever really talk about the disparity that much between, like, horror critics and quote-unquote regular critics, but this is definitely (laughs) one where all critics seem to be in unison that this was a a wonderful, wonderful film. Well, right, because it's not a horror film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a comedy drama body horror. We're going to use the word horror to describe something that's not horror. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid of horror. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, mean, I don't really have much else. Apparently, it was originally rated NC-17 for its graphic violence before that was changed to an R rating. I have to believe that was just merely about the general subject matter. Like, I think, like, there's nothing in here visual-wise that, like, screams nc-17 to me so i have to believe that the that the mpa was like it's just too upsetting or something i don't know well there's always that like if there's the intersection of violence and sexuality Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's like greater than the sum of its parts sort of thing yeah i agree because i think even the waxing scene which is for a lot of people the the kind of big pinnacle moment in this film or maybe one of them i always think oh wow this is a scene that's talking about female sexuality you know uh feminine hygiene rituals and then also has like a really disturbing piece of violent imagery and great prosthetics great practical effects mm-hmm. all right so th- that's really that's my cue okay <laughs> L- let's talk about the movie yeah let's go into this plot joe because i, I, I think y'all are right there's a lot to unpack here Okay, so I'm going to give a quick shout out to Kate Hagen's 31 Days of Feminist Horror Films article series. Um, We talked about Kate Hagen when we talked about Mirror Mirror Trace, which is funny because this movie also has a mirror makeout scene. Yeah, um, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Kate Hagen, um, you've got a type. She's got a type. I I found uh, her review of the film very thorough but also like more complicated than some of the other analyses that i found where it it was a bit more like here's what happens in the film you're like yes and okay (laughs) all right so we begin on a deserted country road as a woman runs in front of a car causing it to crash and then in extreme long shot she slowly walks over and peers inside as we cut to the title card and it's a very evocative, unnerving, and like, wait, what kind of way to open a film? I do love uh-huh. that she keeps everything in long shot. Like, we never zoom in on anything. It's just the same shot mm-hmm. from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I realized that that probably looks like a fairly, I don't want to say, I mean, it's not, the street itself that it's on, for me, looks exactly like the street in Jean-Luc Godard's Weekend. Oh, which when I, oh my god, yes! <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm like, let's start at the pretension level high if I'm on the show here. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just like I was watching that and like I'm perhaps in certain parts of Europe, that's a little bit more of a typical looking street and other people wouldn't have that reference. But just to have like a violent car crash on like a tree line street mm-hmm. like that for me instantly is just like, oh, shit's going down. Like, right. So. Weekend is one of those, like, it, like, I had to watch it in, in film school. Like, that's one of those, like, oh, you want cinema? Here's cinema. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, that, I, again, I know logic doesn't matter here because most of the film is just metaphorical. But I'm like, so did the cop, like, clearly Alex keeps going to this road <laughs> to, to to make cars go off the road and so she can eat people. Um, mm-hmm. You'd think the cops would, like, set up some kind of, like, <laughs> like, like roadblock. <laughs> yeah, like a sting operation to be like, well, let's see what's, like, clearly something keeps making these cars. Cars crash. I don't know. <laughs> we need to put in some kind of camera because obviously drivers cannot handle themselves. So- oh wait, there's a girl. She just keeps causing accidents. God- oh, what is she doing to those men? All of these partially <laughs> consumed bodies that they pull out of these car wrecks. Which again, we only see two of them, but only to describe two cannibalistic instances. Does it doesn't need only? It's two. You have two instances <laughs> of cannibalism. <laughs> oh well, Trace. No, there's there's very little cannibalism in this movie. I really <laughs> wish that there was more. <laughs> 1.5. Like, like 50% of the named characters are cannibals. <laughs> <Yes, laughs> right. Every female character that we interact with is a cannibal in this movie. And maybe in real life, too. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so after the title card, we are introduced to virginal teenage vegetarian protagonist Justine, played by Garance Millier. Nope. Garance Marillier. And apparently she and DeCorno are are they come as a bit of a package deal so they like to work together and i think uh sometimes de Carno describes garance as a bit of a muse yeah this is their third film together i think they did two short films together before this but like de Carno, like met met marillier when she was 12 when marillier was 12 and it was like they did a film when she was 12 they did a film when she was 14 and then this film when she was 17 so it I, I do I do like that relationship because it's like okay like as DeCorno's film career is growing as is her her muse as you said Joe and I think that this is such an assured confident performance by Marillier because there's just something about her that I find I mean yeah we can quibble whether she's likable but I find she's a really dynamic interesting performer like I can't take my eyes off of her and if you think about how much of the film rests on her performance it's like this film is make or break on this single role yeah I'm always um shy about saying like oh she carried the film but if you for a second imagine someone like less competent in that role mm-hmm. it wouldn't have worked as well overall yeah i always there's she does this thing which is like so simple but it's so effective where she just keeps looking she like d- turns her face towards the ground and then looked at people through the top of her eyes yeah and it's just like she does that several times during the film but it's just it becomes more and more haunting so it's just like i'm like that's the stupidest trick that works so well <laughs> and it's just she's so intense about it so yeah pretend like we're putting another actress in this role because honestly the the, the look of Marillier gives me very much like Tysa Farmiga vibes all right but this girl's a much better actress than Tysa Farmiga but like, imagine <laughs> Tysa Farmiga in this role instead you know it, it's not gonna work yeah yeah and I don't I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here but she I mean it's interesting hearing she's 17 and then worked with the director when she was a child because like she's a really young 17 mm-hmm. or 18 or however old she's supposed to play in this and i think that to be able to do that without it almost feels like she's like dressing up later when she 
oh yeah grows up rather than growing into it and i think that that's a really like thin fine line to walk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah but no it's just she's fascinating yes yeah, yeah. I, th- I think they worked on her body language a lot like de Corno specifically was <laughs> like i want this character's body language to be just so well and i've got a fun fact about how de Corno works with her actors and actresses when we get to mm-hmm. the dance club scene it's one of my right. favorite film anecdotes <laughs> teasing okay we'll get there so we're introduced to justine as well as her parents they are unnamed so they are only mother and father they are played by joanna priest and laurent lucas and we're introduced to them as they're getting a kind of last meal together and and i'm sorry but laurent lucas is a horror queers alum because he was the lead in calvair Oh, there we go. Okay, I thought that I only knew him from Les Revenants, which is the French version of the TV show The Returned, which I don't recommend The Return, but I do recommend Les Revenants. It's very interesting. I will recommend both. They are the American version is a very different take on that Mm -hmm. material, but I think it's interesting if not wholly successful but i I, the the french version is is far superior (laughs) yeah it's about people who like disappear and then they come back and they're kind of dead but also not and there's like a town that's submerged it's a very it's a lot of great fantastic visuals a bit of a slow pace though yeah but if you want go look at the cast of that american remake and be like how the fuck did this not last longer because it's like mary elizabeth Mm -hmm. winston (laughs) yeah no it's a really good cast yeah (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, Lucas is the lead in Calvary. Yeah, I was going to say, talking about movies with really amazing dance scenes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes me so uncomfortable. Uh, okay, so we we learn very early on that Justine is a vegetarian because when she discovers meat and the mashed potatoes, it causes her mother to have a conniption fit. But I think it's also important that she doesn't seem overly like annoyed or frustrated or upset by it like she's a very passive character when we first introduced to her and she's calm she's comfortable letting her parents take like basically just take care of her okay i had a totally different read on that okay Ooh. yeah just i i just she freaks out and expects to be rescued hmm like she just kind of like notices there's meat in her mouth and then kind of spits it out and then her mom has to deal with it and she she is very passive i entirely agree with you on that but i i read that as like this is clearly a child who doesn't know how to advocate for themselves yet they wait for their parents to save them even though they're about uh, okay. to be dropped off at college yeah even the way that she spits the potatoes out oh is my god very, yeah <laughs> it, it, it's not even childlike it's almost infantile it's like, I don't even know what to do with my mouse. So I open and I just lean over and let food fall out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and we see this kind of infantilization when they arrive at the college because the parents are excited because we learned that they have actually gone to vet school where Justine is going. And they're talking about buildings and all these things. And she just goes, oh, I, I think she says something equivalent to like, I feel lost or I'm lost. And you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. So... I don't know. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm jumping the gun here, too. I Shame on these parents for not <laughs> warning their daughters. Oh, by the way, there's hazing and this is what it entails, which I guess maybe that's the thing is you're not supposed to tell people what's going to happen with hazing. Maybe. But even logistically, I'm just like, okay, well, mom, you're a cannibal. Um, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the film. <laughs> Assuming that the rabbit liver thing was a part of the original hazing when she was at the school, you mm-hmm. don't think that... The, maybe not even say, oh, by the way, there's a hazing thing, this is what happens, but maybe say, hey, by the way, we're cannibals. This is probably going to happen to you at some point in your life. <laughs> like, not even a warning. These girls are figuring this shit out on their own. Yeah, I can't help but wonder, and I don't think the film 
spells it out in part because I don't think I mean, A, DeCurno doesn't want to tip us off to this is what's happening right. until the end. Like, that's why the payoff works at the end of the film. But I'm not sure if the parents just don't think it's a generational thing. Like, if they just assume the mom is affected and they don't think the daughters are at risk. The only thing I, I excuse it is, again, we're working with metaphor here. It's supposed to serve as how... I'm really from American perspective because I, I imagine it's a bit different in France, but like how parents don't talk to their children about like their bodies and what's going to change during puberty and things like that. Mm-hmm. In America, you know, a lot of us rely on sex ed to do that for us and parents, mm-hmm. parents don't want to have those conversations. But the irony is that the sex ed that we have in American schools is absolute bullshit. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is a lot of teenagers figuring things out on their own. Right. Your body's going to start to change. If you eat a rabbit <laughs> liver, you're going to molt. You're going to get wild cravings. You're going to eat people. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't they? They could cover that in schools. Right? Maybe they should. Uh-huh. Public service. Could you imagine? um we do get a brief mention of an older sister the mom asks justine to try to call her but of course the older sister does not pick up and then the parents are like okay cool bye and they're off (laughs) but they can we mention the fact that they just drop her in a parking lot like they don't even bring her up to the building Mm -hmm. which like visually is interesting but like logistically i'm like really (laughs) yeah terrible parenting here and we will not see these parents again until the incident after the waxing (laughs) so we cut to the middle of the night as justine is woken up along with her gay roommate adrian who is played by rabba nate ufella and they and all of the other students in the hall are then put through an elaborate hazing initiation by masked men nothing scary or uncomfortable about any of this i would have Uh, left immediately i don't (laughs) i don't even know why this is allowed by any of the teachers at this school like no 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 no. this is absolute bullshit like i i I guess like for a fraternity like it would make make sense because like the fraternity isn't owned by the school or whatever but this is literally like a school like this is part of school i just i don't get it Uh, did did either of you go to schools that had like a lot of strong traditions like this so i did i didn't attend that particular school so my university had a very strong engineering presence and they did their (sighs) own frosh week thing where like everybody dresses up in purple and they've got like their own sets of cheers and activities that they go off and do and it's not punitive like this but it can be Mm -hmm. very overwhelming to the point where like as an introvert i would get uncomfortable just looking at these people and what they were being asked to do interesting yeah i went to a very old school women's college in new england so there were a lot of traditions like this and i definitely like we have pattern china and we have you know chant oh i'm not even fucking with you (laughs) we have like chants and shit like that but that was one thing that I related to, and I think this will come up as we kind of talk about the very lengthy hazing situation, yeah. was that her sister and everyone else is like, no, you're going to want to do this for yourself. They're not saying like, you know, well, they do say like, we'll ostracize you and you won't be with the group if you do this. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, 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 this is for your own good. Like, it's kind of framed like that. Yeah. Like, this is an investing in your future if you do this one really stupid thing. So, yeah, I, I, yeah just... I, I, I went to UT Austin and I, I never was in a group that had hazing rituals, period. Like, much less, like, be, be they soft or hard like this. But, I mean, I can imagine, again, like, I mean, I come down to sororities and fraternities a lot. But I'm just like, I imagine that the, the frats and sororities here, because we are a major football school, mm. like, probably does have things like that. 
I will say that pulling from your Kate Hagen article, Joe, she actually does make a comparison for what these these hazing rituals are, again, meant to represent, if you will. But um, she says that uh, the intense hazing period serves as a metaphor for the violence that accompanies the coming-of-age experience for young women and allows its heroine to embrace the monstrous parts of herself as she develops a complete sense of the woman she's soon to become. So I think one thing is that if, if anything, like some of the rituals that they take her through really heighten her awareness of her body. Yes. And if we're talking about like this different work that she was doing possibly with the director to, you know, work on how she was holding herself on screen. Like you can definitely see that like this is like you're going to drink a lot. You're going to crawl. You're going to eat something gross. Mm-hmm. Like so she really is kind of possibly getting in touch with her body as, a, you know, quote unquote, almost adult as she's going through. Yeah, but that's not the intent of the of the rituals. <laughs> the intent of the rituals is just no, to be a no, fucking no. asshole. Yeah, no, the intent of the rituals is to be a fucking asshole and brainwash <laughs> if you can. But yeah. like the way that she's experiencing mm-hmm, it, like gotcha. that's what her she's taking away. If I mean, she's clearly not like feeling any more bonded with anyone there no. because of all these rituals. Yeah, no, there. I mean, from an outside perspective, we look at it, we probably see a lot of like dehumanizing behavior. But I think you're right, Didi. When you look at this, there's so much physicality associated with it right like we're so they they have to walk on their hands and knees through this parking garage and then they get herded through the dark into this sexy sweaty party and the focus and particularly the way that DeCorno shoots this as a long take as Justine wanders from room to room and you're right she's not making any connections like she doesn't know any of these people she's clearly uncomfortable but the camera is all about these bodies moving in the light and everybody's like really feeling it and you as a result as a viewer are so focused on the way that Justine seems to shrink within herself until she sees Alexia, who is her older sister, Ella Rumpf. And it's important that we're introduced to Alexia as she's dancing, like shaking her ass on a raised platform. Like, (laughs) it is the perfect encapsulation of who Alexia is as a character. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) She's she's everything that... Justine isn't right like at this point yeah after just a because like, she, she's a second year so she's just a year older than Justine mm-hmm. right well this like, is if you can get through it this is what you can become right this is yep. your potential but Alexia is a dangerous character in this movie right like mm-hmm. she's seductive she's interesting this to me is a hundred percent like oh it's sisters the older one is more sexual more aggressive more dangerous and more threatening but also still a child, as we will get to when we get to the immaturity that she stoops to mm-hmm. towards the end mm-hmm. of the film. Mm-hmm. So this is where I'm going to briefly do a tangent to talk about my anecdote. And this is great for people who want to go back and rewatch this movie, but specifically this party scene. So DeCorno doesn't like the way that people move when they're listening to music or at like bars and stuff in other movies because she thinks it looks authentic. And that's because obviously what happens is you can't play real music because then you can't pick up dialogue and that kind of stuff. So they play music and then everybody just dances, but there's no music that they're listening to. So what she did is she worked individually with each of these actors to hone their dance style so that it looked like they were actually dancing to music the same music but in their own unique way and if you look at this no one is moving in the same way but it a hundred percent looks like they're dancing to the same song it's like that level of detail in a first time feature director like she 
has such precise control over this material, it's mind-boggling to me. Well, and that's the thing too, right? Because that, that's a detail that no average viewer is going to know. This isn't something mm-hmm. that had to be done on her part, but it's something that she notices and that someone probably would notice. So yeah, it just it speaks to her craft and her attention to detail that she would do something like that. And I do love it when you encounter directors who have a pet peeve and they're just like, everyone's going to have coffee in their cup rather than pretending that they're like, <laughs> oh drinking out of God, a God, the cup. empty coffee cups drive me insane. Yeah. Empty coffee cups I hate, but it's just like this was probably her one like cross to bear and every time she's watching a movie, she's like, they're not dancing. Mm-hmm. I don't feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not feeling this dance club scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is to that. I mean, like, I mean, I do love there is some like really specific beauty in first time directors getting to like this is the, how many years have they had to prepare this? Like, mm-hmm. this is not something that they're churning out. No. Not to say that everyone's like been working on it for, you know, 20 years and mm-hmm. they've finally gotten there, but there is just, she's been thinking about this dance scene for quite a while yes. and she knows how she wants it to go. And like, who knows, perhaps if they were all, you know, <laughs> I'm just thinking of like an extreme example. If they were doing line dancing and all doing the exact <laughs> same dance together, <laughs> that would have a totally different feel than just yes. a bunch of kids, like their first day of college, all coming together and all doing their own dances. Like mm-hmm. we can do a tight read on that. Like, like thematically if we want to because mm-hmm. there's nerds like us who will totally do that absolutely <laughs> <laughs> deep dive 101 here we come <laughs> so the sisters do leave this party and i think it's a very on the nose and i like it that as they lead the camera frames a stuffed animal that's hanging from a noose Aww. you're just like ah things to come okay Oh, I hate teenagers. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so Alexia guides Justine down a hall and we see all of these photos of first year students and, you know, it foreshadows that they are going to get doused in blood in a couple of scenes. But we do get the confirmation that her parents did go to the school. We don't get to see it, but the sisters do. And then, yeah, this is where Justine says, yeah, I'm just going to bail. And Alexia's like, you really need to reconsider this. Like, you don't want to be that person who's not participating because you will be ostracized and justine ignores her and goes back to bed i really hate that mentality it makes me i I, this movie actually does make me very uncomfortable as it should i mean that means it's doing its job but yeah all this hazing stuff i am just like uh uh-uh first bus back home i'm done no 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 no. Yeah, and the fact that it's, like, her sister, and, like, you can tell that, like, again, like, because Justine has kind of has this innocence about her, like, and she, at one point she's like, oh, we can hang out like we used to at home, mm-hmm. and it's just like, well, first of all, look at your sister, that's never going to happen again no. for the rest of your life, <laughs> but also, like, that's not what's happening here. If your sister's saying, this is what you need to do in order to hang out, she's not saying, oh, you, it's okay, if you're uh, ostracized, you can come hang out with me, she's like, I'm not carrying you through this. Yeah, like, we learn so much about Alexia in about two scenes, and it's not just the way that she's visually coded, like, she's obviously more punk rock, she's more sexual, she is coded way older, like, if you didn't know she was a second year, you would think she was graduating that year, because she looks that much older than Justine. Yeah. But then the way that they interact, there's, like, a puppy dogness to Justine, where she wants to make her big sister proud, But Alexia does not give two shits about Justine. It's a frustrating relationship in that regard. I mean, that that that's the sisterly bond, right? Didi, do you have a, a sister? I was like, this is a good time to bring up <laughs> one of the ways that I relate to this. I have a sister who rules metal ass, and like, she goes to Fantasia with me every year just to hang out, like, and mm. go to movies. Like, my sister fucking rules. I would be surprised if she didn't listen to this. Like, and I'm not just saying this because she's probably gonna listen. Like, she <laughs> lives literally on the other side of the globe, and it pains me every day that I can't just like call her up every second. Aww. So. But that being said, we 
I would say this to her face, knowing that she is listening to this. She, we did not get along for a lot of our childhood. Right. And right, right when I went to college is kind of when the relationship started twisting a little bit into something that was much more like aware of the fact that we had shared past trauma and the fact that like we actually really did get along really well. So just seeing this and like, I wouldn't have, I would have been the one, I don't think we would have been yearning for each other's attention like this, but now because she is far away from me, like it is a strange relationship in that way that like, we don't have a strange relationship. The way that I am interpreting and relating to their relationship is very different. Right. But I do, you know, on a personal level, relate really well to horror films specifically that center around these really strong if not complicated sister relationships like you know ginger snaps absentia very specifically like Mm. yeah and that's actually really interesting though because especially bringing up absentia which is a movie that i I do like not as much as my husband my husband loves absentia but even if we want to just to sibling relationships um because my sister and i also did not get along very well when we were kids and it wasn't until um when i came out she was also going through some of her own trauma and it really alienated both of us from our parents and it was when that happened that we started to connect more so i would have been like 16 she was like 14 or 15 but i actually really relate to the siblings in oculus for that reason and I think there's something nice about horror films that take the time and effort to center the sibling relationship because so often it's really easy to be dismissive and just say, oh, well, Alexia is a bitch and she's a jerk. And like this film is centered around the relationship between the two sisters and how that informs Justine's maturation, right? Like mm-hmm. so much of this film is about female rituals and it should be about Alexia guiding her younger sister through experiences that she's already had. But because of the way their relationship has been set up, Alexia is not that kind of person to Justine. And I think that's one of the reasons why Justine quote unquote goes astray in this movie. Yeah. And I think to that, like to Trace's point and my relationship with my sister and the one in this, it's like, sibling isn't shorthand for like bonded best friends no. it's short it's cinematic shorthand for like there is history here and we need to learn a little bit more right and there's also you know potentially a future in theoretically because like very few people actually cut a ties with their family you know it, it is possible and it is healthy for a lot of people but you know what i'm saying like there's a whole thing where it's like this is my sister it's like oh you've always known her and you're always going to know her right yeah. even if you don't always like her and get along with her yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> Uh, so unfortunately there is more hazing to be done so we learn that the first years will be called rookies the uh, people who are older than them shall be referred to as elders and this is yes when they get doused in blood for the photo and then they get to stand in line and eat rabbit kidneys and... i will say though that the, the reveal of this blood like we get like the slow motion so we sorry mm-hmm. we get justine noticing the drop of blood on her but then this slow-mo reaction of hers as she sees the blood coming down, it's a it's wonderfully shot. I love this shot in this film. I can't lie, considering the thematic interest of this film, I feel like you have to see this as a reference to Carrie. Yeah, and that film just was like totally fine for everyone and after the pig blood dousing. So. Yeah, nothing bad happened after that. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so she doesn't want to eat this rabbit kidney and Alexia basically forces her to and it doesn't go down well. 
So are we to believe or infer that it is the consumption of meat that awakens her cannibalistic yes. urges? Or is it... Okay, because then that means Alexia went through the exact same thing. It was, she had a rabbit yes. kidney and she was like, well... Um, so this is basically Raw 2. We just haven't seen Raw 1. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I really want to see Raw 1, though. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh. What would be worse, going through it and not understanding, or going through it knowing that someone knows what's going on, but they're not being helpful to you? Well, I think it actually explains, though, why Alexi... I mean, granted, we we, we could believe that she's been like this her entire life, but she... Imagine Justine going through everything in this movie without having the the familiarity of her sister saying, oh yeah, the same thing happened to me. Alexi Mm -hmm. went through this by herself, which also explains why she's so fucking hates her parents <laughs> yeah pretty much and he's like is like well i had to do this so you have to do it fucking too justine get over it mm-hmm. yeah well it also makes you wonder because like going through that like i think she would be more angry at her parents if she found out that that's because you know we, we've already spoiled the end yeah. like, about <laughs> finding out that the mother is a cannibal as well like if alexia we don't know if she has that same you know awareness moment that where she gets the moment with her dad quietly to realize right. what's happening i mean certainly if she did like i would rebel like fuck so like i get that mm-hmm. but yeah no it's just i can't imagine going through this and i do think i mean very clearly like i think the mechanics of the transition in it this is like the catalyst for it mm-hmm. but it's just kind of like i mean to keep comparing it to ginger saps even though i don't think it's a perfect comparison like mm-hmm. the menstruation is what makes them you know right werewolves it's not the actual like you know being attacked by a werewolf but that's still in there right 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 mm-hmm. gotcha is this a good time to mention that I'm also vegetarian? So being a vegetarian with a strong sister relationship, maybe that's why I responded so well to this film. Didi, have you eaten meat recently? Is what we're asking. Are you Justine or Alexia? <laughs> oh, Alexia is so much cooler. <laughs> um, <laughs> so clearly I meant Justine then. <laughs> I was going to say, know. you just described your sister as metal as fuck. So sorry, I'm pretty sure fuck. she she's... sounds like she's the Alexia. <laughs> yeah, no she. No, she rules metal ass. And I'm the younger sister, so it's kind of hard to there escape. There we go. Yeah. Uh, there you go, yeah. So it's important to note that we are at veterinarian school. And I think that's part of what informs not just this hazing ritual, specifically with rabbit kidneys, but also, you know, we get a lot of shots of, like, animals being sedated or being cut open. And it should be noted, of course, that all of the animals were perfectly fine. There was no animal abuse on the set. But I, I bring it up because we are now at the lunchtime discussion where Justine and Adrian and a, some of the other students debate around animal rights and the issue of whether or not you can rape a monkey. And it's all played <laughs> for humor and a bit of stupidity. But I think it's important insight into who Justine is because she's not just a vegetarian, but she believes in this idea that all animals have feelings, right? I guess I equate this with she's about to transcend beyond being a conventional human and she wants to still advocate for the fact that she will still have the same rights and beliefs and that kind of stuff which proves to be challenging the more that her urges overcome her well and and this will tie in later once the dog conversation happens and her dad Mm -hmm. says you know oh no we got to put the animal down once animals tasted human meat or human blood or whatever it's it's done for so Mm -hmm. Yeah, this whole thing of like, yeah, she's she's viewing herself or she's being an animal by being this cannibalistic person. Yeah, well, also, like, she's advocating for monkeys being sentient. And she says specifically, like, they look in the mirror and they can see themselves, which that yeah. with the, you know, 
pardon the phrase, the mirroring <laughs> later in the film when she's dancing and staring at herself in the mirror. It's like, is that when she's first seeing herself? Does therefore right. she ascended to being like an animal of a monkey level? But um, can we also talk about the fact that they're having this discussion very seriously, you know, kind of joking at first, but then it veers into serious when she's not getting in on the joke. They're covered in blood still. Yes. Yeah, I think it's because they're not allowed to change, but you're just like, oh, they're wearing the trauma of this hazing ritual around literally as clothes for the entire day. <laughs> and they're arguing with one another. They're like, we are so much better than animals covered in blood mm -hmm, yeah. like, and it's like the irony but are you <laughs> yeah yeah they're like a monkey can see in the mirror have you looked in the one recently because mm -hmm. you're covered in blood you and you're si sitting you there like? saying i know i know it's just the irony of arguing for you know the superiority of humans while not really exhibiting any of it uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I honestly then may maybe that makes the hazing an easier pill to swallow i know why it's in this film it has to be in this film but put forth as this ironic like plot point i kind of like that more it makes i it makes me fine with are you it. liking the movie a little bit more trace no 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 <laughs> i mean it's still a three and a half out of five but like i'm appreciating it there we go okay so we move into a test situation this is our first interaction with this absolutely shitty fucking professor but um as justine is taking this test you can see that she's visibly agitated and part of it then you think oh she's just you know, a straight-A student, she's very persnickety and uppity, she doesn't want Adrian to be staring at her exam, but you can see that she's, she looks like she's on caffeine or uppers or something, because she's, like, jittery, and then in bed, this is when she discovers that she has a very angry, itchy rash on most of her Ugh. body, and I fucking hate this scene, because she itches so hard, it is mm -hmm. so uncomfortable to watch. So I don't know about y'all, skin things are like my biggest issue on my own body. Like if I see, because we know our own bodies, right? So when something mm -hmm. is wrong, even if it's like a tiny dot, you're like, that wasn't there the, the previous X amount of years of my life. So what's going on here? This scene is so uncomfortable. And yes, I will, the Foley work on the scratching, I think is really mm -hmm. what sells it. Because, oh my God, it's so painful Ooh. to hear. Yeah. That's so gross. And to that point, like when you say something, you know someone really well, you say, you know, like the back of your hand, and that's a skin thing. So now yeah. when anyone says that, Trace, I want you to think of a skin thing. <laughs> no, no. It's like, Didi just texts you. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, no, yeah, I, I, but... I mean, b body horror is one of the, I, I enjoy a lot of body horror, and it's no shock that, of course, Cronenberg was a, is a big influence on Decorno, but mm -hmm. body horror is also one of the most difficult things for me to watch because of my own issues with my own body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, to me, it's one of the best sources of horror because it basically forces you to reconcile with the fact that all of these things could hypothetically happen to you because you have a body and your body does weird fucking things all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it comes down to that whole like adage. I think this was like a Joe Hill quote or something like horror is extreme empathy and that goes for the emotional, but it also goes for the physical. And I think like, you can feel that when she's itching and you're yeah, like, oh my yeah. God, stop it. I know this feels great, but you need to stop it immediately. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I, um, I mean, this is like kind of really, I, I, um, I had a bed bug in my room, which sounds so ridiculous. No. But like, um, it, it was, it was about six months before my wedding and every night I slept in bed, I would wake up with a huge red welt somewhere mm -hmm. on my body. And when I wouldn't sleep in the bedroom, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't have the welt show up. And, 
I was doing all this, re- you know, doing the Googling or whatever. I went to a, I went to a doctor, I went to a dermatologist, and I went to someone else. And, of course, they were like, well, it wouldn't really be bed bugs because, like, they, they you know, they're in clusters, they form a line, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But you are clearly allergic to whatever's biting you. Little did we know that we did find one sole bed bug in our box spring. And as soon as we got rid of it and we definitely put it in a Ziploc bag to show it to our apartment complex because they didn't believe us about bed bugs at all. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, that, 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 that cured it. But I was, uh, I was apparently just really allergic to bed bugs and had the itchiest, itchiest red welt on my body that would appear. And it would, it would stay there for like a month. And each one would stay there for a month. So again, watching the scene is like bringing back all these memories of like, Waking up and not knowing why I have this new thing on my body. Mm. Well, remind me to tell you the story about how I had way more than one bed bug. And ah! it took a year to get rid of them. Oh, and no. holy fuck, those things are the worst. Ugh. And listeners, just so you know, bed bugs is not a sign of cleanliness. Anyone can get them. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, anybody who's ever lived in a big city, it's like... Your time is now. Well, I wonder how many, like, the, the higher registration of cinephiles getting it, because you can get pick, pick them up at the movie theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yeah. Dee, you just put a hex on everybody who's going to movie theaters this now. Is, I've, I've brought my, Airbnbs, too, man. Hell. You gotta watch out oh, for Airbnbs. Yep. Okay, I feel like our listeners are just itching now, so let's, <laughs> um, let's move this along, shall we? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Continue. <laughs> so I do love the beauty of this next scene. It's a dreamlike sequence as a horse is running in place on a treadmill, and I think I mean, again, you could look at it as a literal metaphor where Justine is fixed in place and going through the motions, but I like to think of it as, what do I think of it as? I don't know that I have anything more insightful to say about it. I think it's gorgeous, (laughs) and I really appreciate this. (laughs) Sometimes it's all you need. Yeah. Uh So Justine does go to the nurse. She confirms she's having an allergic reaction to food, so she's encouraged to fast for 24 hours. And this is where Justine says she's hungry all the time. And (laughs) if you didn't think something was going on, now you know. This is also a very unusual scene, and it feels especially French to me, where this infirmary nurse just kind of takes a seat, lights a cigarette, and tells her about a fat patient of hers who came in and she was being bullied because she was larger and she was being mistreated by all the orderlies. And it's like very much a, do you want to stand out or do you want to blend in? And it's very, you know, important to Justine's story because of course she would want to blend in. She doesn't want to stand out. She doesn't want to be that girl that she will become shortly enough. Mm -hmm. But I just think, lady, is this your story to tell? Also, should you be smoking right, right now? Yeah. Well, uh, th- 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 that's the Frenchness of it. But yeah, I, I also feel like, I mean, like, I, I don't think we'll ever get an American remake of this film. But like, if we had one, this scene would be cut. Because it yes. does feel, it, it feels extraneous, even though it's not. Like, there is thematic relevancy here. But I feel like this is something that an American remake would gloss over and be like, that's not important. Cut it. We don't need two minutes of this. I will say my favorite thing about this scene, other than watching a nurse smoke in front of her patient, <laughs> is that that's when uh, Justine gets that cream. Mm-hmm. And that actually like has a huge plot point later. And then it's just so subtle. And it's just the cream bottle design is like such a specific design that it kind of sticks in your head. And she looks at it very intently for a second. But that ends up being like a whole reveal later, which I think is just like such a smart thing. It is. And I'm going to quote Kate Hagen again, because she's got thematic relevancy for this whole skin thing. 
As mm-hmm. Justine's body begins molting, digging her nails into her flesh, peeling away the past self that she's left behind by committing to the insanity of hazing, she really is becoming an all-new woman. Yeah, it actually reminds me, I used to read the, the X-Men comics, and there's a character named Husk, who her special power is that if she got injured, she could literally rip off her skin and have oh. a new layer of skin underneath that was undamaged. But it's this idea of, you know, rebirth and shedding and molting and and rising from it as a brand new person and it's fascinating because in this case she's coming out of it a completely different person that maybe <laughs> she doesn't want to be as opposed yeah. to like oh it's great she's emerging into who she truly is meant to be it's like well this new self is dangerous <laughs> yeah. well even to that point if like guys i love a close read i'm so enjoying this so much <laughs> but, like, to, to that point like when you know to the kate hayden hagen um quote like the nurse is the one actually peeling it away. This yeah. is true. Like if you if you watch it, like we watch her like scratch the shit out of herself, and it was you know simultaneously horrifying and really satisfying. But then when it comes to actually peeling the skin off, like the nurse is taking like little tweezers and peeling it mm-hmm. off for her, and it's more just like it was going to happen. But she's almost like she's not doing it for herself right. yet, just yet at this point. Yeah, oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. She's still not doing anything for herself. It all comes full circle. She'll get there. Yeah. So she leaves and she is immediately dressed down by a elder, in quotation marks, who tells her that she is violating today's dress code, which is slutty girl. Oh, God. <laughs> Nightclub. Nightclub, Joe. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> and the difference is? <laughs> uh, in, in this movie, not much. So she ends up going to Alexia's room and Alexia gives her some of her own clothes, which again, the symbolism, right? It's like, not only is it hand-me-downs, but it's also like, put on my own clothes, put on a new layer of skin Mm -hmm. and try it out. And of course, Justine doesn't wear it well. She doesn't feel comfortable. She can't wear the boots right. It's just so telling, right? Yeah. No, she doesn't make it her own. She puts it like over her sweatshirt Mm -hmm. and jeans. Like, it's just like, she doesn't... It's almost like, oh my god, I love this. Like, Alexia knows she's headed that way, mm-hmm. but she doesn't know how to do it for herself again. Like, her, she has to get the dress from her sister, she puts it on, and it just looks weird. Like, she's not actually wearing the dress, she's just, like, draped it upon her. Yeah, and Alexia doesn't want to help her because she's so frustrated, she just boots her out when she starts asking mm-hmm. too many questions and complaining. <laughs> it's like, okay, Alexia, you could be more helpful here. You could, but it's like, you can't dress yourself? Like, you're at vet school and you can't dress yourself? Yeah. <laughs> So she she does decide that she's going to be proactive. So Justine tries to pull her mattress out of the pile that they have thrown out the windows. So she ends up being unable to do so. So she goes to ask Adrian for help and she walks in on him getting head. And this is the first moment of, I don't want to say extreme sexuality, but like very much an acknowledgement of the sex that happens on college campuses and the fact that Adrian is a very, he's, he's feeling himself uh, now that he's at college. I, <laughs> I do... was like trying to wait for what euphemism you were going to drop there. I was like, what, what's about to come out of your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but no, it, it's, it is the first instance of sexuality in the film and it's queer sexuality, which I do appreciate. Mm-hmm. What I appreciate even more, maybe it's not voyeurism because she's not seeing it, but that she takes that like, 
a full minute, I feel like, and just listens to the sounds of Adrian's uh-huh. pleasure as he's getting blown by this guy. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to think, like, that very first night when she was asleep and they dragged her out of the um, bed so they could go to the dance party and make them crawl and stuff like that. That's when she meets Adrian is when where they're being thrown out into the hallway in their, like, their pajamas. Mm-hmm. And she, he's like, he's like, oh, I'm your roommate. And then she's like, what are you talking about? I asked for a woman. He's like, well, you're going to have to settle for, you know, a word that I won't say. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, so instantly, like, this literally the first thing we hear from him is him establishing himself based on his sexuality mm-hmm. and how he identifies that way. Yeah. And it becomes so important after their sex scene together, right? Like his mm-hmm. big cathartic moment before, oh, spoilers, his death is that, you know, he talks about how it took him 20 years to get to the point where he can proudly and loudly say that he is gay. So to me, it very much makes sense that he leads by identifying himself sexually with her mm-hmm. because he wants to get it off the table. Or sorry, he wants to get it like on on the table, off the table, whatever. No, but but uh, but that's actually <laughs> a really good insight into queer life, though, because I mean, at least specifically for queer men, um, I will not speak for women, but a, a lot of it, a lot of us do define each ourselves by our sexuality and by our sex lives. Like mm-hmm. so much of the queer lifestyle, and at least at least what's marketed, even. I mean, again, go look at some um, some OnlyFans Twitter pages. You know, <laughs> like it's all about oh my god, like sex, 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 now, now, now. And I do wonder, though, if the F-slur is more common like as, like, a term of endearment, I guess, in Europe than it is in the States, similar to how cunt is over there mm-hmm. as opposed to over here. It definitely feels like him trying to appropriate it and own it like a badge of pride, right? A little bit. Yeah, I mean, like, he's labeling himself, which he fully has the, you know, opportunity to do as well. Mm-hmm. But it's just, mm-hmm. like, right off the bat. It's like, yeah. oh, and he also kind of, I mean... I don't think that word's in her vocabulary. <laughs> like, right. So just the fact that like the contrast instantly between the two of them. But this does kind of introduce a, not a level of deviancy, but it encourages Justine to start looking for opportunities to play outside the line, right? Like she's clearly coded as virginal. And then she sees Adrian in an act of, you know, heightened sexuality and then the very next scene is her saying like well i'm gonna steal this burger from the cafeteria and you just think okay these are the baby steps to childlike rebellion right Mm-hmm. And it is yep. so gross. All the gravy leaking out of her fucking pocket. How did she think she was not going to get caught with this? I don't know. <laughs> it's funny, though, how Adrian is like, uh, girl, you could have just asked me. I mean, he he's so clearly... I appreciate his patience with her because he Mm -hmm. sticks with her even when she is acting like a big old dum-dum throughout a lot of these early parts of the film. And then when she becomes a bit of a raging bitch later on. Kind of reminds me of a friend that I had who, when he decided to stop being a vegetarian eating meat, he got like Denny's chili. (laughs) And it was like, of all the food Mm -hmm. that you should be enjoying. like You're going to start with that. Get a good steak. Like, those animals died for nothing in that Denny <laughs> I'm also thinking, like, I mean, <laughs> I, I, however your stomach has gotten used to not having meat, like, yeah, I feel that's like... That's not going to be a good start. Denny's chili will, like, blow a hole through your butt. Like, a new <laughs> yes. hole. Yes. I mean, it's chili, so it's designed to do that at the best of scenarios. But then you add yeah. the Denny's factor? Yeah. Oh, But, like, boy. to that fact, like, the, like... Gravy coated, gross, mm-hmm. like cafeteria hamburger mm-hmm. yeah. bun. Like, no. mm-hmm. um, 
I will tell you all right now, though, I live for the the gross cafeteria, like barbecue pork ribs, where they, they're not actually ribs, but they're mm-hmm. shaped to look like they have bones in them. Correct. The barbecue sauce on those things is so good. <laughs> I, I, I would literally eat them any day of the week, so... There but you you're talking about sauce. You're not even talking about the actual meat content. No, because the meat has no flavor, so it just tastes like the sauce. So you just have the, the kind of, you know, whatever no, that okay, quote-unquote meat is made of. <laughs> no, you're gross. I'm willing to guarantee that there's a vegetarian slash vegan version of it that Uh-oh. tastes exactly the same. Yes. And I can switch them out and you'd never know. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Okay, so yeah, she gets caught with this and Adrian takes pity on her. So they end up going off campus by bus to a convenience store where she can get shawarma i like this scene i think again in an american remake you would see all of this get cut because it's not consequential to the plot but this is where we actually see another of alexia's crime scenes we drive by one and justine takes Mm -hmm. notice but then also there's this fascinating moment where they're just having a conversation outside justine is going to town on this like on this uh, delicious looking shawarma. And then Adrian is getting molested by a big rig driver who clearly wants to fuck him. It's really, but hey, so I I got that vibe too, because he keeps touching his ear, right? But he's also Mm -hmm. offended by Adrian because Adrian's going off about like the alcoholism or something in truck drivers and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So it felt less like I want to have sex with you and more so as in I want to rape you. Ew. I mean, I'm not saying it's good, but the, that is the vibe I got from this trucker because he was touching Adrian with a very soft, you know, ear flick. But while being it, it, his body language and tone felt very threatening. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, he wasn't trying to be like, let me buy you a drink there. Like mm-hmm. he was definitely trying to exert some sort of like, I'm an adult and you're a child. over Right. Him. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like, I don't know, part of me was reading that and I would be interested to see if you guys at all think I'm totally off base here, but it's Mm. kind of like, Adrian is very clearly out and proud and we just discussed that and truck drivers, you know, historically there is an association there of them Mm -hmm. not being. So I don't know if that was like a, you know, old guard, new guard of queerdom in this area. Um, I mean, that's kind of where I get, so when watching foreign films, that's kind of where I get into a thing where I'm like, ooh, but like how much of this is normal for France as opposed to not? Like I, I never really know the line there. But yeah, you're right. I mean, like, you know, truck stop glory holes are a thing for a reason. I don't know. It it could also, yeah, I could read it as like, he's jealous of this young person for not having to go through the same, again, presumably not having to go through the same trauma as he did as a youth because he grew up in a different era as a gay man. It could go either way. I mean, it... It could just be something simpler where he's saying he stops off, he sees this young queer kid, he finds him attractive, so he tries to make a move on him, hoping something will happen. And another cultural thing I might be missing is, like, is truck stuff shawarma that good? Yeah. Like, the way that she's eating it, I mean, it's just, like, clearly a catharsis for her Mm -hmm. and part of her, like, development into this cannibal that she's destined to be. But, like, she is, like not looking up from the it's like if you gave a shawarma sandwich to a dog like it's just like the way that she's just stuffing it into her face yeah yeah i do think that the conflation though between her burgeoning cannibalism and then this sexual situation with adrian to me is very Mm -hmm. telling because the cannibalism is definitely interlocked with sexuality as we move forward oh yeah Mm -hmm. oh yeah that's all i have to say about that (laughs) I was gonna, I was gonna make an eating out joke, but I'll leave it. Ah, we would have allowed it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, like, <laughs> actually, like eating out or the movie eating out because both are <laughs> things. 
No, I was just like, I mean, like, they don't call it eating out for nothing. There like, we go. No. Uh, yeah. Well, and as a commentary on your truck stop shawarma, I will say, as a as a frequent consumer of Seven Eleven pizza, oh my um, God, Trace, it, it's very good. <laughs> you are kind of a trash panda, aren't you? You will just <laughs> really, eat anything. Honestly, so my husband and I, we always just go to the gas station across the street to get like you know wine and shit, or you know candy for when we're stoned at night. Uh, but they, the inside, there is like a built-in taco shop in the gas station, and so I've heard it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> okay well so, your your homework is to go and check it out and report back that's not yep next week there you go all right <laughs> okay so uh this obviously activates something because that night adrian discovers justine she's hunched in front of this fridge trying to hide what she's doing girl you're not fooling anybody she's definitely just eating raw chicken and oh boy i have gotta give props to marie because she she is really selling this raw chicken performance apparently it's just made of sugar okay like that, that is what it is yeah so when she finished filming she was like oh yeah i was put off sweets for a while because of how many times i had to eat that ch- chicken sugar thing <laughs> wow <laughs> I love the way that they prepare fake food for film and television. Like mm-hmm. this scene is just gross. It's just gross. This is disgusting. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm not going to lie. So I'm going to reference Kate Hagen's article now because I found this point interesting. It's this idea that Justine is exploring the shame and the fear of dieting and like a diet industry and beauty. This idea of like, am I eating the right thing? Am I eating too much? Should I, should I be eating at all? Like the fact that she's obviously a vegetarian who has fallen off the wagon is mm-hmm. the literal reading. But it is an interesting commentary considering how much this film is also very much fascinated with beauty rituals in young women so it's like don't look at me eat don't don't look at the things i'm eating because i know i shouldn't be putting it in my body because society has told me not to and there is a moment where her sister makes a comment about her weight when she Mm -hmm. actually does finally put on the dress and actually look good and her sister's like oh you look better in that did you lose weight or something she, she literally says are you anorexic Oh, okay. That's even more than I thought. <laughs> but yeah, there is. I mean, it's really, if we're going to be doing like a, you know, balls deep dive into body horror with women at this point of their lives, like it would be really hard to ignore that, especially when it is related to consumption. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, interesting. And this, this is the part in the film for me where it almost starts to pivot. And we're not there yet where it's a film about her, not about her perspective. Like we're observing her from the outside a little bit more for the first time right now. Hmm. Okay. I yeah. You guys got that same thing because before it kind of felt like she was authoring it, and it was all about her experience and everything she was going through. And this is like the first time that Adrian kind of like is observing her, and she's unaware, and we haven't had that experience. Uh, right. Like, like, okay. like she's not the audience surrogate. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. Now I feel like I need to go back and rewatch it. <laughs> Let's just all watch it a few more times. <laughs> Stop the recording. Yeah, we'll be back in two hours. <laughs> So the next scene is when she has this meeting with her terrible fucking teacher who accuses her of cheating. And instead of being the good girl, she ends up blaming it on Adrian. And there's this fascinating kind of bad little girl habit that Kate Hagen identifies where she's chewing on her hair. And it becomes this extreme feminine body horror moment where after the meeting with the faculty member, she goes to the bathroom and she 
half pulls, half vomits this never-ending string of hair. Oh, boy. I didn't know this was a thing that girls did. And that also, because mm-hmm. um, there was an episode of Nip Tuck where the youngest daughter in the family, like, she basically, like, has a stomach ache. And it's mm-hmm. because she has a ball of her yep. own hair trapped in her intestinal tract. And so watching this, which, oh, my God, like, the vomiting up of this hair is a scene to behold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and again, if you're thinking about, I mean... Kate Higgins says that this is kind of like, it's a secret that has to be unearthed. Like she's literally pulling it out of herself. But it also, you know, we get the joke, which is kind of funny and also horrible that when Justine then comes out of the stall, the girl tells her, oh, if you're actually trying to make yourself vomit as an eating disorder, it's easier if you use two fingers. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I'm really quick about that, too. I love that the camera holds on this girl who just mm-hmm. smiles in the mirror. As she's Justine so pleased. Away. Like, I just helped a girlfriend. <laughs> better her eating disorder look at me (laughs) well i mean that speaks to like the level of what is a stand-in in her life for a female support Mm -hmm. like her sister wouldn't offer that you know tasty tip for her (laughs) this random stranger had to come along and be the one to help her through this right but no like i mean hair eating especially for women i think because most of the time they're the ones who have the hair long enough to eat like if you watch any film that has any sort of like group therapy scene in a oh there's always a girl that's chewing her hair (laughs) bingo there's always a girl who's chewing her hair it's a whole thing okay yeah Hmm. again the kind of coding things that it's probably much easier for men to overlook unless it's made more obvious for us Mm -hmm. yeah and it's not i mean it's not something you do when you're psychologically well but it's also often associated with like younger children like i don't think i've ever seen a scene where like there's always like a teenager or like a preteen chewing their hair rather than like you don't see like a 50 year old woman chewing their hair usually like it seems like it's coded for younger like Mm -hmm. immature or maybe you're not sucking on your thumb you're chewing on your hair sort of yeah like like it's a specifically like immature way of like dealing with Mm -hmm. anxiety or stress Mm mm-hmm well, and it's important that we never see this happen again. Once she pukes it out, <laughs> once she gets it out of her system, she's done with it. It's mm-hmm. oof, man. Mm. An endless string of hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So speaking of oomph, we are up to that scene. So Alexia decides to help her younger sister out with a little bit of vaginal waxing. And we somehow end up with Alexia getting her finger amputated, the dog maybe eating part of it, at least some of the blood. Justine definitely takes a good strong nibble on that finger. I'm sorry, really quick, because we did skip over this, but did anyone want to, I don't have anything to say, but if any of y'all did, uh, to comment on the peeing tutorial? Mm. I think it's it shows, an inc- like, I, again, to the fact that, like, saying someone's a sibling you don't quite know how close they are mm-hmm. like i as much as i adore my sister and we talk almost every day i would not do that with her right like we are tend to be a you know firmly a pants-on family so <laughs> <laughs> but that I'm also may be you. a french thing right though like the open i mean no i don't know i, mean, I don't probably... i don't think so i think this is an immaturity thing right in mm. case we didn't understand how silly and flippant and just ridiculous alexia can be she's like cool yeah absolutely we should be able to do this it's also a very rock star fuck yeah like ladies can be standing up screw you boys but one can and one can't like it's of mixed results well, you gotta practice your craft yeah yeah you gotta practice i'll, <laughs> I'll never forget there was an episode of the view when i was growing up i think it was meredith vieira but like she talked about how there was a there was a, a contraption built for women it was like a piece of like not actual cardboard but it was this thing that you would unfold and you hold under your um your 
your urethra as a woman and you let the pee stream down so you can pee standing up right. um uh-huh. and my mom my mom my sister just wanted one so bad <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> i mean that seems perfect if you're gonna go camping because i know women do not enjoy having to go into the woods and squat to Ooh, pee yeah. like that Mm-mm. no no it sucks and you do end up getting it all over your pants sometimes right i've asked that question many times because every time i see a girl like squatting to pee in the woods in a movie i'm like that has to have gotten everywhere like i, I don't understand the mechanics of that again it takes practice but it is it is possible but i i anyway <laughs> tell us about your pee habits dd <laughs> well i'm glad i brought you here today <laughs> welcome to my ted talk i didn't mean to di- di- diverge so yes on to this waxing scene <laughs> dd what do you make of this Okay, so here's the thing. First of all, the waxing itself is far more horrifying than any of the finger chopping off or the other people mm-hmm. eating the finger thing. Uh, yes. For me, it's so funny because I'm watching this and I'm just like, I would never in a million years ask my sister wax me and I would not wax her. And again, like we are very tight. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm like, the strangeness of it is that it makes me question just like, this is like my thought process. I take it. I'll take you on the journey. Okay. Um, so then it's like you're watching this. And I'm like, this makes me uncomfortable. This is not something that two sisters should be sharing with each other. Mm-hmm. This is just a really strange situation. And then it's like, I hire professionals to do that. And I'm like, but it's so intimate. Shouldn't my sister be doing mm-hmm. it rather than a total stranger? Like, so that's the kind of weird thing where like I end up coming around in my mind and I don't want to be there. So it makes me just wonder what the hell is happening here? Because it's again, it's not quite a normal thing. And it is just kind of like a level of pumped up, in, like for lack of a better word, intimacy mm-hmm. between two people that just seems wrong, even though it shouldn't when you actually think about it. Yeah. Oh, no, so. I I completely agree, because I do read this as an intimate moment. Like, mm-hmm. there's joking, yeah. and it's a little uncomfortable, but it's also like, I trust you as my sister to do this, even though I don't think Justine actually wants to, and it's upholding, you know, feminine beauty standards that have been imposed by men and the patriarchy and all that good stuff, but... Yeah. Also, when she like only gets half done, and she's like, "That's it. I don't ever want that to happen to me in my life." And her sister's like, "Well, think of how you'll look with only half." I'm like, mm-hmm. "Okay, well, who's seeing this?" For right. Her? Like, and for her, it's just that's it's not how do you feel and making yourself feel better. This is performative for oh, sure. you know, yeah, your sexual partner, whoever they might be. Mm-hmm. But I have seen some people read this film, and in particular, this scene through an incestuous lens like some people have said oh the queerness in this film is actually that these two sisters have the intimacy of sexual partners like who else would you trust to do this except someone that you trust around your fucking private parts and then of course the eating right it's important that the Mm. first time she ever tastes human flesh it is her own sisters and she's so delicate with it right like she squeezes it to get a little blood out and then she can't help herself and she just goes to town well, I love that it's almost an accident on her, right? It's it's like an instinct because it's like she picks up the finger and then the blood drops and she tries to catch it to prevent mm-hmm. it from staining the floor and then like in, without even thinking licks it. And then you have that moment of realization for her where she's like, oh, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> let's do it some more. I don't mind this. And then she's taking little, oh, the parts where she's just nibbling around the edges. You're just like, mm-hmm. oh, it's... Yeah. Yeah. It's like when she's eating baby corn or something in like a hilarious <laughs> oh manner. Sorry. Um <laughs> but yeah, I don't I mean I can see I can see this being read as incestuous just because there is that intimacy there. I don't think I mean it's more of an allegory than it is for like an actual like and then they're gonna fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So or they have fucked before. Like I don't I just get the like 
inappropriateness in the relationship without necessarily like sexual fluids being well, exchanged. Decor now straight up rejects. So because I have the Scream Factory blue of this, and there is um there's like a 55 minute featurette that's just um the Q and A from a festival. I think it's Monster Fest in Australia, mm-hmm. and I was. Uh, Honestly, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to watch this because I really hate festival Q and A's, especially when it's audience mm. participation. Um, s- yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and someone <laughs> does like, a man goes, oh yeah, actually, I found the movie very erotic, specifically between the two sisters, oh and and she was like, sir, sit down, please. <laughs> Well, she was like, I, I, I think the movie is sensual. I don't right. know how we call it erotic, but it's not between the two sisters because that's incest. And that's definitely not something I was trying to put in my film. <laughs> but it is interesting, right? Because when we think of universal taboos, cannibalism and incest are the top two, right? The, the mm-hmm. things that you cannot ever do and then have it between the the same pair of sisters. I do think that that makes it far more subversive and more radical, uh, you know, even if DeCurno didn't intend for that. And I guess I can kind of see it from this scene to the scene where they then have their breakdown on the roof and they start biting each other. And it it feels like a competition, but also like a bit of foreplay. And then that mm-hmm. finishes in the end of the film when, you know, they, they kind of exchange the looks between the glass at like, oh, this is how I defaced you <laughs> forever. Yeah, and there's also, like, I mean, it always begs the question, because, like, the way that she actually gets the finger to eat is just, like, a total freak accident. Mm-hmm. Like, it's horrible, and I don't know why anyone would have scissors that enormous in their home <laughs> or in their dorm room. But it's just, like, if this didn't happen, she would have found out somehow. Right. Like, she would have found out that she wanted to eat flesh like that. But mm-hmm. the fact that it's happening in this situation where her sister's already kind of pushing the boundaries mm-hmm. and that, you know, whoopsies, you lost a finger and I'm going to eat it. Yeah. Like... Yeah, it does. It does make me wonder. Like, would she have been comfortable enough to explore that hunger if her sister weren't there? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know, but I like to think about it. I mean, I, I do also love the the framing of whenever Alex wakes up to see her eating the finger. It's mm-hmm. almost framed like that that infamous shot in Halloween. Whenever like you know Lori has just <laughs> defeated Michael, and he like sits up from the closet. It's like, oh, she sits up and she's just looking at her like, um, to in a completely oblivious Justine. But here's the question. So you see tears on Alexia's face. Is that because she has now realized that she's not the only one? That's what I, that's how I read it. Yes. Okay. But I think you could also read it as, oh my God, it's her too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was part of that, and it was also part of like I just got my finger cut off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's my finger. <laughs> okay, so we do go to the ER, and not unlike the truck driver, I do see this connection with the old man who's making lecherous motions <laughs> at Justine oh, as we're God. waiting. It's just like, oh, you're now a sexual object. Like, what happened to Adrian, who was very publicly out and announced his sexuality? Now, suddenly, Justine is being recognized as a sexual figure because she has begun consuming human flesh. Yeah. So, Alexia has blamed Quickie, the dog. And, yes, this is when her father says, okay, well, we're going to have to put the dog down, which is fun. Yeah, an animal that has tasted human flesh isn't safe. He'll want to eat again. Um, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, also, like, looking back, like, what does that say about his relationship with his wife? Right. Exactly. Yes. I, I, these are terrible parents. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, they're fucking awful. I cannot believe they did not tell their children, by the way, you might be a cannibal. Yeah, even if he didn't expect that it would happen, like, you, you probably hope it doesn't, and yet 
don't you have a responsibility to say something in case? Like, we're dropping you off. We literally don't even see you to your dorm room. But also, hey, try not to eat meat because you might turn into a cannibal. And also just like, what a secret for the dad to keep that long. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it does make that final scene all the more impactful. But oh, yes. sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that we've been talking about the final scene this entire time because it does have that much of a repercussion mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So this is an interesting combination of scenes for me as well, because yeah, like we haven't seen the parents in so long. They return for this. Both daughters end up fighting with their mom and the father has this kind of all-knowing sage advice about the dog but they're also not telling like they don't have any idea what's actually going on between these two girls there's no education they're not revealing any secrets yet and yet the next scene that we get is alexia who has now lost a finger to this education saying okay well let's go out to the road where i kill all of these people and i'll just murder a couple of men so that you can learn how to do this the right way I, her justification, too, is that, oh, I mean, he's not going to make it anyway, so let's do it. Was, yeah, but you, you caused the accident, <laughs> Alexia. <laughs> and again, it foreshadows this fact that Alexia does not care about human life, so mm-hmm. she is a dangerous woman around men. Yeah, and she's like, please don't eat me again. This is how you get meat that's not your sister. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So Justine doesn't like it. She walks away. Again, the kind of gentle conflation between sexuality and cannibalism. She notices that her shirt is covered in blood, so she takes it off. But it means that she's a young 17-year-old girl walking down a very busy road in just her bra. Mm-hmm. so the relationship between the sisters is not great. Uh, we do get hints that they're kind of like staring each other down in the future. But this is also when Justine starts to become more interested in Adrian. So she becomes transfixed with him when she helps him to put on his lab coat. And then she cannot stop looking at his topless body when he's playing football. (laughs) And it's so intense that she gives herself a nosebleed. (laughs) She's thirsty. I get it. (laughs) I mean, he's a very good looking man. Oh, very much so. Yeah, and he's kind to her and he has confidence. Like, it's not coming out of nowhere, other than the fact that he's already told her he's gay. Mm -hmm. But that's never stopped anyone from crushing on anyone else in the past. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're not interested in me? Suddenly I'm so much more interested in you. (laughs) Let's talk about it. Tell me more. Yeah, Yeah, let's have drinks. So, okay, we start to see a very radical shift in Justine at Mm -hmm. this point. So this is the scene where she is jamming out to some... I I think it's so on the nose. It's almost fantastic how dirty this song is, which is basically just like, hey, girls, get dressed up and go fuck. So (laughs) apparently, um, I I didn't get their names in the name of the song, but what this band does is they sing about men the way that men sing about women in rap songs. Like, that's their whole MO. I fucking love that. I'm so interested in this right now. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the moment where she then fucks her mirror or practices kissing. It's a combination of, right, this woman, like adult woman's sexuality, but then she's practicing kissing the mirror like little girls do. And she's wearing that dress finally, Mm -hmm. like actually wearing it and like not her jeans and not her sweatshirt and like you know covering and th- this is where you can see a shift in her body language again like fr- from last scene to this scene her body mm-hmm. language is totally different she is yeah. a proud confident woman not girl woman mm-hmm. now yeah mm-hmm. yeah which then leads into this next scene where she comes out and she finds adrian and alexia playing video games and she immediately gets mad at her sister for 
moving in on her gay roommate. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, Alexia gives it as good as she gets, because this is where she makes the anorexia comment, and also basically says, like, oh, well, you did eat my finger. (laughs) This scene, for me, it's always a little hard to read of, like, if she's jealous, who Mm -hmm. she's jealous of, because she Mm -hmm. wants both of their attention Mm -hmm. so badly, and they're giving it to each other rather than any to her. Oh, yes. So, yeah. And I think that plays very nicely into the scene when after Adrian has sex with her and she gets really angry, it's less about him not giving her the attention. It's that he may also be giving his attention to Alexia. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Sister sibling rivalry. Oh, you know it. So after she has this confrontation with Alexia, she's in bed and we get this fantastic visual. We, we should note that DeCorno picks some really interesting angles and ways of shooting things. So like the makeout scene with the mirror, it's often from the mirror's perspective. Yeah. And in this case, this is all filmed under the covers as we see Justine going into a kind of shaky withdrawal. But it also is... And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Is she actually being beaten in a kind of hazing ritual by people? Or is she just imagining it? Oh, I read it as imagining it. Because for me, this was just like, she's going through withdrawals. So, which withdrawals can feel like you or your body is being beaten up. So, yeah, I I definitely... I read it as a just a visual representation of how she's feeling internally. That's interesting because I, I turned up the sound because I watch everything with subtitles, but they didn't have like sound effect subtitles. But it sounded like money, like change hitting things. And I wonder, like it reminded me of Full Metal Jacket where they put change mm-hmm. in socks and then beat uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's character with it mm-hmm. as a kind of hazing ritual as well. And I, I was like, okay, so the soundtrack seems to be cueing us that there is something happening. But yeah, I actually have always read it as just it's withdrawals. No, I just read it as withdrawals because the film never shies away from showing us the horror that is being inflicted upon her from right. the hazing so i just assumed that like honestly when i was watching that scene i did expect her or someone else to pull back the sheet and then you could see like a, another lot of you know blood covered vet students right. but that just never happened no. because of course everyone is actually down the hall making mm-hmm. green paint so oh i hate that this scene just makes my skin crawl let's talk about it (laughs) (laughs) this scene is icky let's talk about it it makes my skin well there's a lot of rape culture stuff in here but honestly and this is going to be such a me thing but like just the fact that they're covered in this gross ass paint like my god trace that is such a you thing (laughs) i cannot i would be like um sticky get it off me yeah no sticky is a big no for me and then you gotta rub your sticky thing all over someone else's sticky thing like what the fuck is ugh? i'm sorry which thing are you talking about this is when the hazing hazing here is like i mean it's been bad before this but Mm -hmm. this is when it really crosses a line because they are now forcing two people to become physically to share physical contact with each other yeah and it's also forced heteronormativity like that was the thing i was like adrian is on this floor he is literally in the room next to justine so we know that queer people exist in this world and yet this idea that boys and girls have to be forced together to make green i was like there's just Mm -hmm. eight different shades of wrong with this activity and they're all shades of green yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
No, I think I think that was my biggest beef with it because I think just based on the way that the trajectory was going of this and the scene that she had with her sister and the jealousy of her sister and of Adrian, like I was like, is this you know a burgeoning queer film? Like, is this her journey? And just the fact that they're like shoving her in the room with this one other kid and just being like, go for it, see what mm-hmm. happens. And he's he's totally into it. Like he's kind of like, hey, let's do this. Oh yeah, yeah. And like he's not. I mean, he's clearly pushing it because he wants to make the people on the other side of the door who are, like, you know, calling the shots right. happy. But he's not fighting at no. all. Like, he's not at all feeling put out. No, this so. is an easy lay. Like, oh, like, we have to do this because this is part of the ritual. So it looks like we're going to, like, get hot and heavy now with this fucking disgusting paint all over us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just kind of hate that there's, like the male version of this hazing that's a positive thing. Oh, sure. Like, she's yes. she's not having the same experience, yep. and he is having a positive one. So when she fucking bites his lip, I was yes. like, yes. Yes. I'm like, dude, you don't need to be one of the bad guys. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it should be known that this is monkey rape guy from the cafeteria discussion. Oh, of course so it is. Of course it is. Well, so you bring up heteronormativity, though, Jess. I'll actually bring in a quote from film commentator Cerise Howard, because she says, What is most monstrous in Raw is heteronormativity. The veterinary science students are appalling. The whole hazing yes. business, get a boy, get a girl, put them in a room together, don't let them out until they've emerged in some way. It's rape culture writ large and is truly monstrous. What is of most interest to me is there is a real queerness to the film to the point of incestuous desire and ritualized bizarre incest in the family in that extremely peculiar coda which we'll get to later i don't know what to say about that exactly except that i didn't see that coming so i think the most monstrous thing in this film is the heteros (laughs) well we usually are I, i would say the hetero boys usually but it's interesting too, right? There's there's actually not a lot of male presence in this movie either. So when we do right. get them, it's just really, really shitty men. You think, oh, okay, well, there's that feminist take too. Well, even to that effect, like the women that we've encountered that are not in her family are, you know, the girl telling her how to be a better anorexic, mm-hmm. the nurse, you know, spilling the tea about her fat patient and then smoking in the room, which I'm very caught on because I'm just totally against it. <laughs> like, <laughs> So it's just like, there are there, I mean, it, like, I don't know, like, Adrian's a good guy, but like, who, are there any other good people in this film? Like, mm, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's where people draw that unlikable factor from. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, who am I supposed to cheer for? And I, I kind of hate that argument because I don't think you need to cheer for people to have an effective or successful film. Yeah, yeah. For me, this is more it's almost more reflective. Like I had a fucking terrible first year experience at university. And a lot of this triggers me because it's very reminiscent of the kind of hazing forced socialization, very like strict gender divisions, all of this stuff. And I'm just like, this just feels authentic to me. It's terrible, but it feels real. Yeah. I mean, for me, the whole, Oh, there's no one to report. There's no likability. There's no likable characters. I think if if that is something that you don't like about a film, it's okay to say, I don't like that. But I don't think it's fair to say it's a flaw in the film, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's a preference. Yeah, like my preference is to have at least one likable character, but the movie isn't less so because there's no likable characters in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for me, like I like characters that are complicated and I can still develop empathy or like at least their point of view. Like I don't need to 
be able to be like, oh, I would totally do that in that situation. Right. But I need to know where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And I do think that many filmmakers don't give us that time or realize that that will pay off that much. Right. Like, I know you've mentioned a couple times, like, oh, if this was an American remake, it would be cut. And that's true. And that's a problem. <laughs> like, because that's, you know, I do like spending time with characters and getting to watch them and watching them watch the world. Because mm-hmm. I do think that informs a lot, even if I think they're batshit crazy and I don't want to have a cup of coffee with them. Right. <laughs> yes. But I think especially in this case and in the case of other films about teenage girl coming of age narratives, Mm -hmm. I think it's especially important that we're allowing girls to be unlikable and be bad and make wrong decisions. Because if not, then we're telling girls, no, you need to be perfect. You need to be Barbie dolls and stuff. So Mm -hmm. it's for me, it's another plus in Raw's favor that we have these unlikable complicated difficult women because i think there's a lot of women who are like this maybe not cannibals but uh i don't know i I like the idea that women are allowed to be bad or flawed because i think that Mm -hmm. we need to allow women to be bad and flawed right yeah because we are bad and flawed like if if you've met one before (laughs) (laughs) wait a woman in in the wild what i think i've met a woman that sounds familiar (laughs) yeah well it's like my whole thing earlier it's like i if there i just like when films assume that women are people right yes yours was much more eloquent Uh, okay so yeah so she does bite him she ends up showering off all of this paint and i do love the fact that she finds a piece of his lip and just kind of pops it in like popcorn (laughs) yum Mm. this is also when oh she's just eaten for the first time in a little bit so she hops in bed with adrian she's horny (laughs) she's horny man and so is he he is smoking in bed and masturbating to gay porn so uh you know you do you adrian you've got a good thing going on And this is when we get the sex scene. And I had such a visceral reaction to this in the theater when I was watching it with a crowd of about 700 people. Because watching her lunge at him like a zombie as they're having sex and him just trying to be like, I'm enjoying this, but also please stop. Keep your mouth away from me. (laughs) uh, And then, of course, she ends up biting her own wrist instead as she climaxes, which I just think is like, oh, it's a lady taking, (laughs) taking her own means to achieve pleasure. But it's also very suspenseful because you are waiting on her to bite him because you Mm -hmm. think that's where it's going. Because, yeah, this film ties in her cannibalistic urges with her sexual urges, like, very, very neatly. Yeah. But, yeah, it's sweaty. It's, again, uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it also very much feels like, like, I mean, she's losing her virginity here. It very much feels like an honest depiction of sex for teenagers. I don't know. I think it's more sexy than the first time a lot of people have sex. I know. I was going to say, like, maybe their 10th time, but, like, she is, like, riding riding him. him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, she's enjoying the fuck out of it. Like, yeah, I think, I mean, there is that, like, you know, hunger in her, which is, like, being directly translated into sexual energy, which Mm -hmm. is fascinating to see. And, like, Mm -hmm. you know, predictable, but it's still, you know, oh, okay, there it is. Um, (laughs) But, but no, like, in terms of, like, if this were her first time and, potentially as a, as um her roommate he might know that it's her first time right like because you know you talk about that sort of thing so like i don't know i read it as just like i read it as a fairly honest sex scene but not necessarily a first time right scene. and not that it was dishonest this is what was happening with her character at the time oh yeah it's just very messy it's, it's a very carnal oh. sex scene yeah oh. that's a good word that's for it. the word 
Oh yeah, it's a perfect word. Because it makes you feel a lot of things, but it's very body-oriented in multiple facets. Mm-hmm. So the next day, this is where we get Justine getting angry at Adrian about his relationship with her sister and ignoring her, quote-unquote, after deflowering her. I love that she uses that word in a very crowded <laughs> classroom. I also find it, I mean, you've already mentioned this line of dialogue, Joe, but when he says, you know, or maybe Dee Dee mentioned it, actually, but when he says, you know, oh, I didn't spend 20 years, like, getting comfortable with being queer just to, to, just to fuck girls. And I do love that, like, he... I find it fascinating that he views having sex with a woman as, like... It's a lie to himself. A minus mark on his gay card, almost. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember when I first saw this, I was actually really confused and honestly a little upset about this because... And folks, I'm going to fully cop to this. It was very mm-hmm. much a kind of reactive biphobia vibe where I was like, but he said he's gay. So why is he sleeping with women? And you know what? I was afraid to say that. But Joe, I, I had the exact same reaction the first time I watched this. And I, I, I will cop to the fact that there is a fear I think more so in gay men, but maybe that's just me speaking for myself. I like I've encountered, and I think I've said this before. I've encountered men where they said the worst thing that a that a partner could do is not like leave me and go and hook up with another man, but actually to then go and hook up with a woman. So I think there's a lot of concerns about like is he actually gay or is he just like dipping his toe in this? And part of me, I think because he is Adrian is so explicitly labeled as gay like he he says it I was like I don't understand the scene what is happening here but I also don't I think that's very regressive of me and it's too simple-minded like he's probably not a seven or a one he's somewhere in the middle on the scale. you know scale. It, it is and you're right but honestly I, I for me personally and like yes yeah, so I felt the same way and yes it's regressive it's not fair of me it is biphobic I think sometimes at least when I first saw that scene it brings up my own feelings of insecurity where I'm kind of like well I'm gay and I'm proud of my, my sexuality but mm-hmm. I'm also watching this man who is self-proclaimed gay and is able to have sex with a woman or a vagina however you want to call it and so I look at that and it kind of reflects on my own insecurities it's like but I can't do that like, right. I can't get hard over a woman. I can't have sex with a woman. So I feel like I feel very self-conscious watching this man who is self-proclaimed gay being able to just have sex with a woman very easily. Hmm. So that, that that's for me personally, that's kind of how I feel watching felt watching that scene the first time. Obviously, I'm you know, it's four years later. I'm a bit more secure now but still there are those things where it's like okay but that is the normal thing i mean quote unquote normal thing that men do with women i can't do that i'm feeling like almost jealous of it in a way Hmm. Hmm. sorry (laughs) no 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 i'm 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 actually really appreciative of having this discussion because i'm just like i can't relate i'm you know neither man neither a man nor am i gay so it's really interesting hearing your perspectives on this but for me, I think like the biphobic, of course, is a bit of but bit of it. But it's also like the rigidity of the sexuality, mm-hmm. yes. where it's like, who the hell goes into college and comes out of college? Not you know, right. not not. I don't want to use the worst experiment, but it's just like, 
I feel like it's an old way to look at things that everything's set in stone when you're that age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So for him to say, like, this is how I'm thinking of it, like, it does kind of cry of, you know, I don't want to say small-mindedness, but yeah, it's just rigidity there. It's just like, I've defined myself, I'm not entertaining other notions. Whereas I think that might be celebrated, like, oh, he came out of the closet, this is great. Or maybe he was never in the closet, and that's, you know, this is just who he is. Whereas, like, I feel like for women, there's definitely an understanding of, like, you're going to tinker around and see what you like. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's true. That's fair. That's fair. I do think it's easier for men to a certain extent to also figure out what we quote unquote like because we're encouraged to be sexual beings. And as this film illuminates, women are often not or they are Mm -hmm. shamed for it, which is, of course, where we're about to head next. So this is where we get a very sexified and very inebriated Justine. She's observing people making out at the club. She's loving it. She's making her way through the crowd. Well, you say club, but it's like the basement of the school, I think. Yeah, like it, it's... <laughs> it, I do say club because the lighting is yeah. better than some of the gay bars I've been to. But you're right. Yeah, this is very much a decked out sub-basement room that they have turned into... I don't know, a den, a vice? (laughs) (laughs) So she does run into Alexia. They have a bit of a spat. And then they seem to kind of patch things up, but they like leave. And then the next day in class, she's got this girl who doesn't want to sit next to her. And Adrian reveals this video. And it should be noted that this film does not include cell phones at all until this point. And Mm -hmm. we basically get a slut-shamey, as cannibal metaphor where alexia is baiting a very drunk justine using a corpse in the morgue and the video has gone viral among the vet students this is fucked up yeah and this is like sister (laughs) on sister violence of the highest degree yeah i hate this scene because it's like as much as you may or may like justine or not or not even care whether you're not her like her like this is cruel Mm -hmm. And this is just showing how mean Alexia is and how the disregard she has even for, you know, in theory, the closest person to her, right. which it just goes to show that that's actually not that close. But just like, I don't know, just like, I mean, she's drunk and she's just come back to like her base nature mm-hmm. yep. and that's cannibal. And to fa- the fact that her sister would be egging her on amongst other people and not understand like the potential like danger to her family for that, like. And and really, I mean, again, swap out cannibalism for any kind of, you know, right. anything. So yeah, if, if we're looking at it through a queer lens, like imagine like, you know, oh, she's a lesbian and she's dangling like, I don't know, a <laughs> vagina in front of her. <laughs> Just a disembodied vagina on a stick, right? <laughs> have those it's just yeah <laughs> they, they they do um yeah but uh yeah it's uh this is upsetting and the the the, the upsetting thing is though that it, it this is only the beginning like it's about to get worse yeah so this leads to a pretty epic sister on sister fight again very publicly and with more video so justine finds alexia on the roof and they start smacking each other down and then they just start biting each other I kind of love it. It's very upsetting. And yet I think visually there's something incredibly compelling about it at the same time. Well, when they both kind of like get to the point where they're both biting each other in about the same place, Mm. it's a stalemate. Mm -hmm. And I think this is like the first time Alexia realizes that like they're kind of equal. Right. (laughs) And and that they both kind of want to eat each other. Mm -hmm. But like, 
Yeah, it's just like there's that like whole thing where they're like locked there, and it's just like, oh shit, what now? When it it reminds me, this is gonna sound horrible. I don't mean this to sound misogynistic, but it reminds me of when you see dogs who like each grab something and they just start pulling at it, mm-hmm. and you're kind of like, okay, but one of you has to let go. Well, but but that's intentional though. I mean, I I don't think that reads misogynistic. I'm sorry, I don't think that what you're saying is misogynistic. I think that it just shows how this scene. It's not really two women we're watching; it's two animals. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which really brings full circle the conversation from the cafeteria about animal rights and who are we if we don't have thoughts and feelings and can rationalize. It's like, these two have been reduced to their base cannibalistic nature at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's all instinct and rage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, yeah. Which again is about to get a lot worse. <laughs> I was gonna say it's just a, a series of escalations at this point, right? So we see that the hazing has come to an end because there's just random students wandering around in their pajamas, and this is when Justine wakes up and she's in Adrian's bed, and you think, okay, except he's dead, and you think, okay. <laughs> So and the reveal here, uh, it, it it plays like the fingering scene in Cabin Fever where she reaches down to like touch him and then she pulls her hand up and it's like, oh, covered in blood. Covered in blood, yeah. And then you just see that like blood just start pouring out of his mouth. Oof. Mm-hmm. Oof. Oof. Yeah. So, so he is dead. So cool. He's missing most of his leg. And you think, I love this moment, the way that DeCordo frames this, because you think that Justine has lost control of herself and that she has killed yeah. her roommate and her best friend, the only person who actually cares about her. And then you see the stab in Adrian's back, and then you see Alexia and the ski pole, and you realize mm-hmm. they both ate his leg, but Alexia is the one who stabbed. Oh, and I, see, I, wait, you don't think I, so? I, I, well, I didn't get the impression that Justine ate the leg with her. I thought that like she was asleep while Alex did all this by herself. Oh. I always took it that she wouldn't have been able to resist herself. Because doesn't she have blood on her face as well? Now I can't recall. I can't recall, honestly. I mean, I, I, I may very well. I, I honestly didn't even think about it being a thing. But I, I just thought... Like, yes, she has them when she wakes up and she's like, oh my god, look what I did. But I thought that the reveal of Alex is literally like, nope, Alex did this and not like, I mean, obviously Alex killed him of her own accord. <laughs> but I find it hard to believe that Justine would go along with the eating knowing, like, after having seen Alex just kill him. I, I, I don't know. Maybe not. See, and I went w- watching this with... There's no way that Justine would be able to resist yes. eating him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also don't think that he was dead when they ate the leg. Well, I mean, she does say, like, why didn't you put it more of a fight? But I'm also just kind of like, I, but I, then I, I'm like, well, I do think he would have put it more of a fight. I think he would have fought. Mm-hmm. This doesn't look like he fought at all. Like, there's no, I mean, again, we don't really get a full view, but like, there's not, doesn't seem to be a lot of struggle on his leg. It seems like they just went to town on it. And I feel like if there was more of a struggle from him, then like, I don't know. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's not important as to who did what. We know for sure that Alexia is the yeah. one who killed him. And I do mm-hmm. think that that piece is important because it feels to me like Alexia saying, oh, here's one more thing that I'm not going to let you have. Yeah. <sighs> so Justine initially gets very mad at her. And then we kind of get this moment of reconciliation between the two. This is where they realize, no, we are the same. We are sisters. Well, and Justine I, helps I think her that, through it. 
sorry, I think the showering scene is yeah. the most important. Like we mm-hmm. get that phone call, but then like she takes the time and we get to see the shower and it's it's mm-hmm. not male gazy, it's not yeah. lecherous. It's just like it is a sister bathing her own sister. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's very sad to watch. Yeah, well, it doesn't feel like like a cleansing or a renewal mm-hmm. like sometimes showers can. It's more like I'm readying you to face the world. Yeah. yeah. And that's a totally different like emotional process to set up for. Yeah, because the movie is basically over. We get the scene in the prison where the family is visiting Alexia. They're separated by the glass. And yeah, as I mentioned earlier, we get the two sisters kind of showing off their battle scars to each other. And (laughs) again, there's a kind of camaraderie here, though. It's not competitive. It's not accusatory. It's very much like, oh, fuck you. Oh, I don't have a finger. Oh, well, fuck you. Look (laughs) at my cheek. (laughs) And then we're up to that final coda scene as Justine's father confirms that they were always rivals, that Alexia didn't like having the spotlight taken from her. So it's very sibling oriented. And then the cannibalism piece comes back in and the reveal that the mom has done all this to him as well. I love the fact that I never notice his mouth. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I never notice it until this final scene every time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's because you because you just think it's like a cleft palate or something. Mm-hmm. I will say that um, I I love Marillier's reaction because as he starts to unbutton, like the the camera cuts back to her and she does this gasp that is just like mm-hmm. it's such a great moment for her. Mm-hmm. But I also love that he, I mean his final line is "I'm sure you'll find a solution, honey," yeah. which is interesting because as we have discussed the whole beginning of this movie is like they are babying this girl they're infantilizing her and even now it's like oh well figure it out yourself and that honestly while i'm still frustrated because like parents tell your kids oh my god (laughs) but if we're going with this whole animal analogy right it's very much like okay cool so like you have a baby bird or a a baby lion cub or whatever yeah they're babied until they're not well, this is him pushing her out of the nest, right? Like, oh, we sent you to college thinking you would figure this out. I guess you didn't. Now you'll have to make your own way. That, 100%. That is exactly what this is. But the fucked up thing about that is like the way that the mom apparently found her own way to was like to find this guy she could chew mm-hmm. on. Yeah. I mean, she's not like, it's perhaps like Alexia's version of like wanting to be the more like independent woman of the family was she's going out and killing people and getting her own food. Whereas, like, how how do you sign up for that life? Like, of just like, and those are fresh wounds on his chest as long as well as old ones. Like, honestly, the like effects of it are pretty great to mm-hmm. just show the oh, yeah. re- repetition of her eating mm-hmm. him. I picture it every time they have sex. Yeah. Yes, and and, and I, I mean, I guess that's where their veterinary work comes in handy because they're all they're, they're technically you know health professionals, so they can treat his wounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just like uh, imagining the power dynamic between the parents and how that would have leaked into how the rest of the children then treat other other people, yeah. like, yeah. Well, and honest, I'm I'm not, and I don't think we need another installment of this in any shape, way, or form. Not not because I don't want it, but because I don't think it needs it. But I was like, I, I honestly kind of want to see the mom and dad story like in prequel form. But then I realized mm-hmm. that's kind of basically what Santa Clarita Diet's about. So <laughs> sorry, <all right. laughs> uh, rest in peace to that effect like one of the best things that film can do films can do is world building which is why i sometimes just want to spend time with characters and in their space and this 
does at least be like holy shit this thing is way bigger than we ever thought like is this a grandma thing too like where does this go like is it only women ever because they only have two daughters maybe they didn't get to test that so just the fact that like that one single final scene i have like a million questions and i think the film can answer them if i only had time and i'm okay with not having that like um joja said but like Mm -hmm. the fact that it is such a fleshed out work (laughs) 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 it does feel like it's like hinting at the fact that there is a more comprehensive world there instead of just like a couple weird one-offs like that sort of stuff i find as really a mark of incredibly strong storytelling in filmmaking i mean i remember being shocked that it ended when it did like i was like oh this is a great reveal and i almost felt like we were beginning act three oh gosh okay i know i know and i was oh we're gonna get more but no 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 cut to black (laughs) this is all you get i I love it. I think, again, this is such confident storytelling. It's knowing when to get in and when to get out and giving you enough to leave you wanting just a little bit more, you know? It's it's baiting us, but keeping the appetite there in case we want to... You said baiting an appetite mm-hmm. without irony. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was trying to be careful. That's why I trailed off, because I was like, dude, you can't keep pulling this off. Stop it. <laughs> Um, well, final thoughts in the film, everyone. Anything else you want to get out? I do love it. I, th- I find it fascinating, and I'm okay that these are... No- I don't want to be friends with any of these characters. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I-, I do appreciate this film. I just, uh, honestly, it-, it may sound like a cop-out. I just think it makes me too uncomfortable to, like, to like, if that makes any sense. Very weak. I know, I know, I know it's terrible. It just, this is a movie that um, I'm happy everyone likes it. I'm I'm happy it has an audience. I, I am very impressed with Decor now. I think that I, I really, I cannot wait to see your next film. But yeah, this this is a movie that for some reason just strikes a nerve with me that it makes me so uncomfortable and so like, not upset, but like, I just, I don't want to revisit this world. Yeah, for me, this is the kind of filmmaking that I get, God, I was going to say that I get hungry for. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) The two differences between Trace and I. (laughs) I love seeing these really audacious first feature films because you're right, Dee. I do think that she probably had every piece of this film mapped out, envisioned in her mind, and this was her chance to execute. I think the difference is is that so often we see people fall short on some of what they're able to deliver. Their ambition is too big for the deliverables. Mm -hmm. And here, I think it's the perfect union between filmmaker and subject matter. And I love that this film is so unabashedly yes, feminist, and yes, horror, and it allows its characters to be bad because I think it sets a good role model for what other filmmakers should be thinking about in terms of pushing the boundaries. Like, let women be bad. It's perfectly fine, and in this case, it's hella entertaining. Well, that is raw, everybody. So, before we announce what we're covering next week, first of all, Didi, thank you for joining us for this yes. conversation. <laughs> Yay, thanks, guys. I like doing a deep dive. <laughs> let's, pick, let's pick some shit apart. See where Indeed, we go. Yeah. Always. It's what we do here in the horror cruise business. Well, Didi, let everyone know, where can they find you on social media? Oh, sure. So the easiest way to find me is on Twitter. And my handle is Didi Krim. That's D-E-D-E-C-R-I-M. And I post links to all my reviews and talk shit. And go. I will go after you if you use the phrase elevated horror. <laughs> As you should. Other than that, I'm pretty friendly. So... <laughs> <laughs> no, 
Elevated horror sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's not a thing. It's not no. a thing. Uh, well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers and join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. Find us on Letterboxd. Keep track of all the films we've covered. We have a list for every area of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> finally, uh, you can go to our YouTube channel and watch videos of our micro queers recordings, which um, I'm not going to lie, I have not had the courage to watch yet. So y'all let me know how they are. Oh, they're fine. they're entertaining because we make big facial expressions a lot well we make them naturally when we record we just don't get to see them ever yeah exactly (laughs) if you have a moment please rate and review us on apple Podcasts. that really helps with our search results and rankings uh and if you want even more content please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horror queers this month we'll have episodes on the fear street trilogy and a quiet place part two since that's hitting streaming this month as well as Shutter exclusives, Werewolves Within, and Vicious Fun. Joe, mm-hmm. what are well, what are we talking about next week? It might be a time traveling episode. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. We'll probably re-record a new intro, but we are going to drop our Patreon episode from Escape Room because, of course, <gasps> Escape Room Two is coming out in theaters. So we thought we'd catch you up on what you missed from the first round. Yep, and in case you're like, why escape room? Um, queer director, ladies and gentlemen, pay attention. <laughs> Adam Robito. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, that is that. And on that note, I think we can cross out raw. Yes, and cross out horror queers. <laughs>